Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Amen. Good morning. Welcome to the war. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the war. We thank you for this day. We thank you that you are God and in control and you have the victory. We thank you, Jesus, that your will be done, O God, on earth and and through us as it's being done and declared in heaven and that you continue to lead us and teach us. You said you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. We thank you for truth. We thank you for freedom. We thank you for the revelation, the deep depth of the, lo- of the power of your love for us, Lord God, that you are truly uh, real and truly involved in our lives. I thank you for each one who's listening today. I pray that you encourage their hearts to continue to, to not lose heart, but to know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. I thank you also for the promise that you've given us, that whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loose in heaven. The powers, the keys of the kingdom of heaven that you've given to us. And I thank you, Jesus, for the promise that you've already <clears throat> given us, that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken by the evil one will be able to bring forth any shame, trouble, or reproach. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's what you asked us to pray, Lord God, and that's what we pray today. Cover our hearts and minds, our, that we'd rightly divide your holy word of truth, that we would not go according to our thinking uh, or reasoning, but according to what your word says, by the power of your Holy Spirit, rightly divided that each one, every member of our family would not be stuck in the swamp of, of hearsay or lip service or fake worship, Father God, but we'd be truly converted and brought into the counsels of your power, your strength, and be in one heart with you. I thank you, Jesus. Now you are the faithful witness, the wonderful counsel. I pray that I would speak as the oracles of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, my husband is on a mission today, so I'm here by myself, but that's okay. Today we're going to be talking about Peter, actually. He's our main subject of discussion. But the question is, have you been converted since you believed? Um, And that seems to be maybe a kind of a silly question to a lot of people who make a lot of assumptions. Well, you believe. Isn't that good enough? Isn't that all we need? And actually, that's just the beginning. Your confession is just the beginning of um, the confession of Jesus, just the beginning of what is going to happen and be required. Actually. You know, for every one of us, you know, we talk about the fall of Adam and Eve sometimes and kind of think, oh, they did that. And if I had been there, I'd have never done that and kind of blame them. But the thing is, every one of us has to experience his or her own personal fall. We have to get involved, personally involved in our life. And the point of realizing where we are ruined, lost, undone, um, without hope. At that point of surrender where we confess our sins, we confess that we need help. Um, we real, you know, it's the defeat, actually, that brings us to that place of uh, recognizing, receiving the revelation of Jesus Christ. So today we're going to talk about Peter. And he's mentioned a lot in the Gospels, obviously. Peter was a common man, picked as one of the disciples, eventually became an apostle. He was a common man. He wasn't religious, wasn't well taught, didn't learn in the synagogues of, you know, or the schools, the rabbinical schools. He was um, uneducated. He was lower middle class. He was a fisherman. He worked for a living, worked hard. Um, he had, you know, heavy physical work like you'd think of a, a machinist or, a, a, you know, a truck driver or a construction work. He was a big, strong guy. He was a family man. You know, he had his mother-in-law living with him. It couldn't be all that bad. He was a good guy. Good guy. You know, a lot of say, oh, I'm a good guy. I'm not that bad. Comparing yourself to what? To somebody else who is, you don't even know what they are, and you're comparing yourself to them and thinking you're okay. What is, what's the standard we need to compare ourselves to if we compare it all? It would be to ourselves and to God's purpose for your life, not to God's purpose for somebody else's life. As Peter learned later when he says to God, to Jesus, what about, what about John? And Jesus said, you know, what about you? Anyway, so Peter was eager, eager to see this thing happen, this, 
this new exciting adventure in his life. His life had been pretty boring. Maybe he was in a midlife crisis. I don't know how old he was. It's hard to tell because those guys all looked about the same age all the time. Um, I don't know. Maybe he was like late 20s, early 30s, maybe 35, 32. I don't know. Anyway, he was looking for some new adventure in his life. He'd been fishing all his life, more than likely. And it got a little old after a while. So he joined eagerly um, in this new band, uh, this adventure, you know, Jesus. But he was, after a while, he became a little boisterous. You can understand why. You know, he's out there in the lake all the time yelling at his partners and trying to get things done, as we do. Enthusiastic, loyal, very loyal, actually loyal, more loyal to Jesus, you know, than probably anything else. And in his loyalty, he got a little bit tripped up. But he was involved, man. He, he, was, at, he was an active member of the apostles group. He was supportive. He was a visionary. Remember the time he said, you know, this was after what we're going to talk about today, but in chapter 17 of Matthew, he, he talks about, well, you know, he just was on the Mount of Transfiguration and uh, Jesus appeared with Moses and um, Ezekiel, no, not Ezekiel, uh, Moses and was it Enoch or somebody? Who was it? I can't remember. You'll tell me. Anyway, he says, let's build three temples, three tents. Let's stay here. Let's make a, let's build a kingdom. Let's make a ministry here. Um, let's go for it. You know, let's stay here. Let's build, build on this place, build on this revelation, build on this. So he was a visionary. Let's get this thing going. Let's get this, build this movement here. Um, so <clears throat> he was one who wanted to take the kingdom of heaven by force. I think he liked that uh, um, the kingdom of, of, of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. So, um, he was, you know, set up, let's set up this beachhead of righteousness. Let's do this. Let's build a building. Let's um, hard work hard, work hard. It's going to be built on self-determination, self-discipline, you know, uh, rigorous, this and that and work. This is the way we build the church of God for the most part. And this is all wrong, wrong. It's not, it's, it was Peter's idea of how to build the church, get it going, set up the beachhead, take the kingdom of darkness by force. Um, you know, Peter, he had seen a lot of things and he was still pretty mixed up. We've seen a lot of things and we're still pretty mixed up about what this gospel, what we really came into an agreement with when we first believed, when we first began to follow Jesus. We have had no idea of what we were getting into. We just said yes. And we'll get to that in a minute. But Peter had already seen demons subject to him and to the others. In Luke 10, for example, Luke 10, 17, they came back and they were all excited about the demons being subject to them. And Jesus said, don't get too excited about that. Get excited about the fact that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You've made it, called, chosen, safe. You're in. You're in. Your reservations are established. Because um, he said, uh, they returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to, to, to us in your name. So Peter was part of that. And then Peter, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I wonder where he went, Right. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. That's nice, he said. But rejoice in the fact that your, that your names are written in heaven. You know, so part of understanding what we've gotten into when we, were, when we first believed is the fact that this is a dynamic, active participation warfare. We're going to be ending up facing, dealing with demons, and um, this is not, it's it's a messy deal. Um, So he had done miracles, cast out devils, you know, had tasted the power of Jesus' authority to heal, um, felt like he was going to be the next in command, I'm sure Peter did. Not, he wasn't seeking to, you know, overthrow or mutiny Jesus or um, subvert him. Um, or undermine him. He was just not like Judas. I mean, Judas, I think he had a whole other agenda going on. But Peter was still carnal, the old man, still operating in his old man reasoning, reasoning out of his experiences, out of his own ideas, perceptions, thinking, thinking and feeling, our soul. He was reasoning, working out of his soul. He wasn't converted, switched over, hadn't switched over to the spirit software where you work and walk and know and, and listen and obey and abide in the Holy Spirit. That is crazy hard for people to do because we're all about control. We're all about, I can figure it out. I can do it. It's up to me. That's how we're programmed. That's how we're born. That's how we're, we're indoctrinated, just to make sure that I'm in control 
and it's up to me. So Peter's conversion, our conversion, is moving from that place of control to that place of surrender. But anyway, so he was um, looking for a certain kind of kingdom to come, you know, thinking, planning, reasoning, um, (laughs) envisioning what the future should look like. Um, You know, all of this had to be taken down in order for Peter to be really prepared to do what he was going to have to do. So as we look, let's just kind of look up to the verses we're going to be focusing on today in Matthew 16. In in Matthew 15, we see kind of the uh, the, um, prequel to what was going to go down in 16. Um, Now get the picture here. Jesus had just had this discussion with, here we're setting the stage, because you always have to kind of read the context of what's happening. The context is they just come to Jerusalem. Uh, He was being attacked by the Pharisees again who are saying, your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders. They do not wash their hands when they eat. Oh, let's get picky for crying out loud. But this was a a big deal in their traditions. They had to be very clean, lots of cultures and washings and and various things for holiness and cleansing. They kind of related the two. uh, Cleanliness is next to godliness. That's not in the Bible, but that's kind of where I think they get the idea from. So he said, you know, this is the people that draws near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart isn't with me. They, they worship me in vain, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Because they had just said to him, you're, you're, uh, you're transgressing the commandment of God because of your traditions. That's what he was saying to them. But they're saying, you're not keeping our traditions. He's saying, you're not keeping the commandments. And so we had this huge discussion going on that they didn't understand what was going down. And, and so he kind of corrected and spoke to the multitude and he says, don't worry about it. He says, um, you know, don't worry about these people. He says, every plant, my father, my heavenly father is not planted, will be uprooted. Everything's going to be taken care of. Even the GMO plants out there, everything that God has not authorized is going to be taken down. He says, let them alone. Let the blind leaders, they are blind leaders of the blind. If the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall into the ditch. He's saying, you know, this is where we get all kind of off the track. We see all these counterfeit religions and gospels and blind people leading blind people. And we want to, you know, make a big issue of it and make that our life's pursuit to try to get them back on track, to convince them of stuff they don't want to believe. And Jesus said, don't worry about it. They're going to fall in the ditch. He says, he says, you follow me. Um, uh, Then Peter said to him, well, can you talk to us about this? And Jesus said to him in verse 16 of 15, he says, are you also, Still, without understanding, I kind of hear it's kind of highlighting a little bit of a problem, Peter. I don't think you quite get it yet. Um, do you not yet understand what enters? And then he goes on to talk about the, the, the eating, the cups, the cleaning, the washing. You know, what goes into the stomach is cleansed. Um, it's, he says, but what the things that proceed out of the mouth, which come from the heart, they are the things that defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. It's not a big deal. Although it's helpful sometimes to wash your hands. He's not saying don't ever wash your hands. He's saying that's not your spiritual, where your spiritual health is going to come from. But notice what he says. He says, out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts. He doesn't say the heart is evil. I know in Jeremiah it says the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I think he's saying there's because the heart can be easily deceived. So he says the heart, out of the heart, you know, my tongue is an, a member of my body. And Paul says, don't, don't yield the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't yield your tongue to gossip. Don't yield your heart to evil, murderous thoughts and adulteries. But our, our heart is part of our soul. Our soul software is part of, has been formed, the software program that programs and runs our soul runs our heart, has been formed through the experiences of the pit and the generational curses, uh, judgments, iniquities, sins, so that the heart is going to be programmed with bad thoughts, eat murder, adulteries, fornications, thefts. And, and, and so these things are the things which defile a man. So he's saying to Peter, I don't think you quite get where the bad things are coming from. They're coming not from you evil as evil, coming from the programming, the body of death that's been operating in your heart, although he didn't go that in depth in our in our conversation here but then we come to another next see everything connects so in the next event uh, verse 21 of 15 we see jesus coming out of where he was and entering tyre and sidon this is a canaanite territory this is 
This is pagan town, this uh, pagan territory. A woman of the Canaanites came from the region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Now, this woman obviously was not loyal to her upbringing and had turned her, was converted or at least convinced that Jesus was the Lord, the son of David. So she made a right confession here. She made a brilliant confession. She made an absolute bold plea. And in that plea, she declared he was the son of God, the son of David, actually, which meant she acknowledged him as the leader, the ruler, rightfully. And then she says, she makes a request. I don't think she was flattering Jesus. I think she was desperate. She says, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. So she's coming, making this confession, really stepping out on a limb here because Canaanite women talking to Jesus, um, yeah, that just does not happen in the traditions of what they were in their culture. So, but he answered her not a word. He ignored her. Oh, my goodness. This is bad for PR. The disciple says, hey, come on, urged him saying, send her away. She's crying out after. She's making a scene, Jesus. Get her out of here. Tell her to go. And Jesus answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's reinstating the fact that he's going and sent to the people who are constantly and continually, adamantly rejecting him, you know, in his face. I have, you know, their, their teeth in him, hating him. And yet those are the ones he sent to. Then she came and worshiped him again, saying, and I, I can imagine she probably fell down at this point in his, at his feet and said, Lord, help me. Now, that kind of reminds me of the lady in John 8 where the adulterous woman who was thrown at his feet. I mean, have mercy. Jesus is a, a man of compassion. And he answered and said to her, he's, he's, you know, really, you could say, well, he's being rude. But he asked her, answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and to throw it to little dogs. Now, the tradition, of course, in the days in the culture was to eat a lot outside. And so the children, of course, if they didn't like their food, they probably threw it on the floor under the table. And the little street dogs or maybe they're even little household pet dogs came and ate off what was thrown under the table. And she, knowing this, said, true, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And Jesus you know, I mean, she one upped him. I mean, I know that she was inspired by the Spirit of God to one up him because I think Jesus really wanted to give her what she wanted, and he had to give her the way to ask. And so he allowed her to have this this response. And then Jesus said to her, and this was an example. This was an example for the disciples. Here's this pagan bread woman who's coming to Jesus and worships him, and you have the 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 the, the chosen people the the sheep of the house of Israel, you know, four verses, five verses, 10 verses before that, you know, spitting in his face. And he answered her and said, Oh woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. He didn't even go do anything. He just said, let it be done. And, and her daughter was healed from that very hour. And so he must've found that out later or the, re, the response was given later, but nonetheless, her, her, she had humbled herself. She had believed, she had confessed, she had worshipped, and she had also been converted because she knew that it wasn't anything she was going to do. It was simply believing and coming to him. And so then, then after that, we go to the next couple of verses where Jesus is healing everybody. Great multitudes came to him, lame, blind, maimed. Can you imagine? They laid their, their people down at the feet of Jesus and he healed them, the crippled. They marveled. The mute were speaking. The maim were made whole. Can you imagine? I just saw a picture of a, a veteran last night. He had one limb left, I think. He had an arm blown off, two legs blown off. Can you imagine seeing something like that and their limbs grow back in front of you? It's like we would call it a horror freak thing. But here it was an awesome thing, and the people were glorifying God. And so then we, we topped that off with feeding five, 4,000 people. Okay, so we're on a roll here on a high point. I mean, it, Peter has got to be just excited about this whole thing. We're feeding them. They're coming like crazy out of the woodwork. We got them, Lord God, and now let's teach them. Let's get them all signed up for heaven. And then he kind of diverses a little bit into this idea of the Pharisees again jamming after him and saying, we want a sign from heaven. And he said, okay, you know, he says, you can tell the signs in the sky. You can read the weather. 
You can figure that out, he says. But, he says, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. How many people today in the church, out of the church, are seeking for signs all over the place? Oh, is it really you, God? God, if it's really you, you know, do this, do that, you know, jump through my hoop, and I'll know it's God. Like, right, you just played God to tell God what to do. Now, how do you think that your whatever did happen was really God when you already are the one who is playing God? So he said, then he goes on to warn the disciples and the guys. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The leaven. What is that? Well, that's the corruption. That's the yeast. You actually put in bread to make it rise. But in this particular case, it's corruption. The corruption that had come to the, through the, the law, through the, the, um, the dispensation he had given to the Jews through Moses and the Ten Commandments. The corruption that had come through the, the misinterpretation given by the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they, and they reasoned among themselves. Okay. So here's the problem. He's talking, he's kind of recapping what happened and he's talking about the leaven of the Pharisees and, and Peter and the guys, they hook up on the word leaven and then they do that word association, get to the word bread and they say, Oh no, we forgot to bring bread. This was probably the day after the 4,000 were fed and they took up seven baskets or 12 baskets, whatever it was. And um, so here they are reasoning among themselves. It's because we've taken no bread. That's why he's talking about this. He's kind of like sideways getting after us. And Jesus said, perceived it. He knew it. He, he knew them well. He said to them, oh, you of little faith, do you, do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? See, this is where the church goes off the track all the time. We're reasoning, trying to figure out what's next, what's smart, what's the next move. Um, building our kingdom, etc. Um, you do not understand. Remember the five loaves and the five thousand, and how many baskets we took up, and the seven loaves and the four thousand, how many baskets we took up. What's up with this? You don't get this. This is not what you're thinking. This is not your human little brain trying to wrap itself around a miracle. This is a whole different dimension. People we're talking about. This is a whole different paradigm. You've never been here before. This has never happened on the earth before. This has been promised a lot, but never happened before. And they understood that he did not tell them to be aware of the leavens. Finally, he got it. They got it, I should say. Um, then we move into the, the place, a scene for this um, discussion in, in uh, Matthew 16, 13. That when Jesus had come into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he said to his disciples. Now, this is basically enemy territory. This is where the governor of Rome, uh, who ruled over Judea and, and that area, that town, Caesarea Philippi, that's where he lived. That's where he hung. That was where his mansion was, his, his uh, royal palace, whatever you want to call it. And um, then he asked the question. Now, he's sitting down on the, at the foot of Mount Hermon because Caesarea Philippi is built on Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon was where the first incursion of the 200, according to Enoch, the 200 fallen angels, decided to go after the women and take to themselves wives and create their own offspring. Now, I know you think that's crazy and out of control, but you go read it yourself in Genesis chapter 6 and Enoch chapter 6. It talks about the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and came into, unto them, and they bore them uh, men of renown, great men, giants, Nephilim, various words giving to describe that. And these Nephilim uh, were taking over the earth. And at that point, for 500 years, they pretty much ruled the earth uh, in the days of Jared and thereafter. And that's why Noah came on and had to um, be put in a boat. His DNA had to be preserved, and he and his family, so they could restart the whole human race again. And so God had to wash out all of this Nephilim blood, this crossbreed, this reptilian um, stuff that was going on. And believe you me, there's still a lot of that stuff going on today. Anyway, so um, he um, he said, he asked the question to his disciples, verse 13, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Okay, the son of man. A little hint here. The son of man is how he is referred to in the book of... And this is Jesus, you know, the son of man. Uh, if they would know the book of Enoch, which they probably did, because it was probably laying around on their coffee tables. Anyway, at least some version of it. Who, who did they say that I am? So they said, some say John the Baptist. Well, he's already dead and gone. Some say Elijah. <clears throat> he's not here anymore either. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So all these people would have had to be reincarnated or re-resurrected or something. So reincarnation is not what we're after right here. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? So we're not talking about somebody who's dead. 
we're talking and, and living somewhere else like Jeremiah and Elijah. He said, but who do you say that I am? Now, he's his own person. He's not one of those guys come back to life. And Simon Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What does the word Christ mean? You are the anointed one. Anointed. You're the picked, chosen, authorized, indicated by God the Father. You're the one. Um, the son, uh, you know, you are the one. You are the, the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, this is a pretty big statement <clears throat> because all around them, um, forever and a day, stage of earth, there had been parading a ton of gods, you know, mythology gods, Zeus gods, Greek gods, <clears throat> demon gods who were all, um, you know, trying either coercing or bribing or frightening, all claiming the right to be worshipped as God. They were, you know, they threatened. They were, um, that's why people offered them sacrifices to kind of placate the gods, make them happy, give them what they want. A lot of those sacrifices included blood and a lot of it was human blood so since the beginning of time this whole pagan worship whether it was whatever part of the world it really doesn't matter it's pretty much all kind of the same they had different names for their gods but they had different names for everything because they were by that time 70 different nations and so but they were all this, this those gods were all you worship those gods out of fear intimidation not out of love you you thought they were going to strike you down dead if you didn't give them what they wanted. And this is kind of, they, they put this concept, this onto the, that was what they thought of as the one true God, the living God. So when, when Paul says, you are the son of the living God, he's saying, as it said in Exodus, there's one, I'm one God, there's one God, there's one. He says, I am one. The Lord your God is one, not, not many. And, and this was the first commandment. So Peter got his um, answer right. You see, as we go on in a few verses, but in seven verses, we're seeing that the enemy had already popped up to mess it up. So, so he answered, right, Jesus, you're, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds. He's happy, he's excited. He says, blessed are you, happy, you know, anointed. This is great. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. He's using his full name. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Now, notice he calls him Simon Barjona. In another place, he's called Cephas. I think Jesus gave him the name. He's a little stone, I think. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Anyway, we think Peter means rock. But he, Jesus renamed him as a little stone. I say to you that you are Peter. Now he's using another name. Simon, Barjona, Peter. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, um, what is this? Okay, so th- there's a lot of people that got twisted up in this verse there's two groups of people basically that call themselves christians um the ones who truly follow jesus and are rightly part of the way and the other ones who are you know building their church on this concept of peter the being the rock either the rock is your confession of jesus christ being the son of the living god that's either your rock or peter's your rock Whichever way you just determine that will determine everything else. He says, and Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Jesus is not going to build his church on Peter because next in, in several verses from now, we're going to see that Peter actually wasn't ready to have anything built on him. He was in a week that Satan knew that Satan says, I would desire just to have you to sift you as wheat. Jesus told Peter later. And, and so we'll talk about that if we get to it. But so Jesus knew that Peter was not ready. He was untempered mortar. He was cement that had not yet set. You couldn't build, you can't build anything on wet cement. He was not ready yet for any heavy duty, major um, burdens, building rocks um, to be put upon him. But Jesus was saying the gates of hell will not prevail against it because he was making a slam statement against those demons on Hermon, the, the first fallen angels, who had made up their mind they were going to take down the kingdom of God. And the way they were going to take down the kingdom of God was to mess up the DNA. This is not just your Sunday school flannel board Jesus we're talking about here. So that's nice for kids, but it's got to go further. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Oh, okay, this is, listen up, we're getting something here. The keys of the kingdom of heaven. What are the keys? What do they open? 
what, 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 I want to listen. What, what do we mean here? And whatever, he says, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Okay, so in other words, to use the keys, I have to use my mouth. To use my mouth, I have to use my heart. To use my heart, I have to make sure that my heart's not full of adulteries and, and uh, wickedness and murders and fornications and false witnesses and blasphemies. So, because <clears throat> what the heart is full of, the mouth speaks. So use the kingdom keys properly. I have to be bold enough to, and brave enough to speak it out, conversion, expression, and I also have to be um, having a heart that's knowing, knowing, converted to my spirit, to listen to the spirit, to walk and move in the spirit, because here's what happens. Okay, so he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Now, this is interesting. Why does he say that? When he, he goes later, and in Mark, he says, go tell everybody. You know, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, you know, go forward, da-da-da. Here he says, don't tell anybody. Um, because I think he was, you know, the thing is, he knew he was going to be taken out. And anybody who's going to advertise for him was going to be, you know, blacklisted with him. And he, uh, he's not worried about them because he knows they're going to be fine. But he was just saying, you know, just don't tell anybody that Jesus is the Christ right now. Just hold off for a minute on that one. Um, time is not quite right. So there's a timing for everything. There's a time to speak and a time to be quiet. Maybe it's time in your family to be quiet, not to say anything, but just live before that person because, you know, they may not be ready to hear it. And you may be throwing these pearls before swine and, and you know, the, the word of God on a stony ground. Anyway, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Okay, so... Peter, going back to Peter, he got a good answer in verse um, 14, 13, 14. But he, when he heard this, he jumped into action and he took Jesus aside and he began to rebuke him and said, far be it from you, Lord, that this should happen to you. Now, this is us telling Jesus what to do. How many times do we do that? It wasn't just Peter. We do that all the time. Far be it from you, Lord, that this should, should happen to you. This is not what we want. This is not going to happen. Um, we have our own ideas. You know, uh, the enemy is right there in the midst of our confession, in the midst of our call. Now, Peter had been called. He had been commissioned. You know, he had been sent out with the, in Luke 9 and one through five. He had been, he had confessed Jesus. He had been called, you know, called, follow me. He had com- been commissioned. He, and yet for all that, that's real good. That's a good start. He had not been converted. He'd con- he had, you know, um, not completed the course. So the strong man was going to test his confession, confidence in being called and commissioned and test that confession. Are you going to really, really believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God, the Anointed One? So Peter turned and said, you know, no, no, no. This is not going to happen. This is not going to happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, now, he, Jesus turned. I mean, he maybe was looking at the group when he spoke this, but when Peter to- took him aside... Peter turned and looked at Peter and said, very rude again, very rude of Jesus, it would appear. Get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Okay, let's think about this for a minute. Twelve twenty-nine. Jesus taught them about the strong man who comes to plunder the house, who comes in, as it says in Timothy, verse Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, 5, and 6, to set us up in opposition to ourselves in the old King James. And so he says here in um, 29 of Matthew uh, 12, 29, he says, um, uh, let's see, hold on. Oh, yeah. Um, or else how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his house unless he first bind the strong man and then he will plunder his house? Okay, so there's got to... But if I cast out demons, he'd go, he had just cast out a demon. And there was a big con- controversy about how, who, and was he not a demon himself? And that's how he got the power. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or else, how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? There's that word again. 
binds. Whatever you bind on earth, bound in heaven, binds the strong man, and then he will plunder. So, so the strong man is coming to bind us, and we're coming to bind him. So there's a bit of a use of words here that might be interesting to, to search out. So he's going to bind he's the, the strong man. What is the strong man? Well, it's a very real thing. Jesus talked about it in Luke 11 and Matthew and Mark. Three places he talks about this strong man. He's come to plunder the house, to set us up in opposition to ourselves, to create a war within, as Paul calls it. I see this war going on inside of me, the one who wills to do good. There is a real honest-to-God war going on in the bosom of every true believer. And just because you got saved doesn't mean the war just stops. No, no, no. The war actually intensifies. If you don't recognize the open doors where the rats keep getting in, uh, they're going to keep coming in, especially if you ignore them, which is what most Christians do. They ignore this demonic activity within them. And Jesus here, when he says, get behind me, Satan, he was not actually talking to Peter. He, he, he looked at Peter and said to Peter, but really he, he, he didn't say Peter's name. He said, get behind me, Satan. So you know that he wasn't looking at just Peter. He was looking at what was going on behind him. And this is what we see, too. There's a, there's a real distinction between you and the entity that works inside of you, the entity that crawls around in there creating symptoms and problems and misconceptions and misperceptions and filters and causes all the junk that you were programmed to believe that came through the snake pit of your experience set up specifically by the devil for that very purpose to deceive you. This is what we oftentimes operate out of. This is where P- Peter was going into the reasoning part and going into the trying to figure it out part and been forbid it, Lord, and it's not going to happen to you. And this isn't what we got in mind. And this isn't the way we're going to do it. He was kind of taking leadership and putting things down. He wasn't, con- he wasn't converted. He was called, commissioned, confessed, but not yet converted. So Jesus gets specific about how nasty these things were going to get. I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed in Jerusalem. Um, and, you know, actually... They remembered that part, but they forgot the part, the good part that he said, but three days later, resurrected. They didn't remember that part until later. So Peter was reacting as a good, loyal um, bodyguard uh, who said, you know, nope, not on my watch. This isn't going to happen on my watch. Peter lost sight of the divine um, purposes of God and substituted his own reasonable ideas. In reasoning, again, good idea, not a God idea. Um, far be it from you, Lord. This is not going to happen to you. I forbid it. I forbid it. He's, I bind it. No, 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 that's not what you're supposed to bind. After all, you are the son of God, and I'm Peter. And you said on this rock you're going to build your church. Well, and the gates of hell, Hades or hell would not prevail against it. So, right? But he, again, was misunderstanding, misinterpreting uh, a lot of what Jesus said in Luke 16, I mean, Matthew 16 about binding and loosing in, on, on this rock and uh, the keys of the kingdom. He didn't quite get it yet. This was his first introduction to it. So we can understand why Peter was having a little bit of a hard time. Anyway, so the, it was understandable, an understandable mistake, I would say, that Peter was making an assumption um, that was not in line with what Jesus had in mind. The plan had to die first. The plan was to die first. I have to die. I have to give my blood this is not built on man's ideas or good works. This is built on blood sacrifice. So Jesus turned and said to Peter, obviously, and the group, he was, you know, trying maybe to be private, but he said, you know, this is not, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Okay, listen to this. You are an offense to me. He was saying that to Satan. He wasn't saying that to Peter. He wasn't saying you're an offense to me. Jesus was not offended by human beings, but he was offended by Satan because he had met Satan already in the wilderness, and that went down pretty poorly for the devil. I mean, that was pretty um, in-your-face confrontation. Um, You know, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. It is written, you know, be gone, Satan. No, I won't worship and bow down before you. It was a a pretty heavy-duty attack against Jesus and his, 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 look right here. He could have given it over to the devil and to take the easy route. Okay. Yeah, sure. I'll take the kingdom ahead of time. Oh, maybe this, this was sent by God. Maybe this is God's answer. Maybe I don't have to really go to the cross. Maybe I can just short circuit that shortcut it. And yeah, well, I'll take the No, 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 no. Jesus absolutely knew, knew, absolutely understood 
what had to be done here. And it wasn't him taking the, the keys back from the devil, who the devil was handing him keys. If the devil was handing you keys, then the devil still got the power to give you the keys. Jesus had to go take those keys right out of his hands when Satan had no power to stop him later on after the death and resurrection. Okay, so, um, no, no, no. So listen to what he says here. Uh, you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Most of what we call the church of Jesus Christ is built on the things of men, the traditions of men, the ideas of men, you know, their blueprints and plans, um, their agendas and policies. All of it's built on men and on their ideas. And, and so they just, you know, that's the, that's the fall down point where we go wrong in our, in our churches today. We are built on the things of men, traditions of men trying to um, make it happen, you know, uh, look popular, get it going so that it's everybody knows how great you are. And that's not conversion. Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. Things of God, not the things of men. The things of men is what we're building on. This is where um, conversion begins to be defined. When we switch over, when we switch over from doing things our way to doing things God's way, when we switch over from the things of men, building the church as we think it should be built on our little ego empires, um, you know, with our, you know, and, and get into the things of God in agreement with the oneness of purpose with the one true God. That's when conversion happens. But how, what's, that's the evidence of conversion. But and conversion happens through falling down. Um, you know, the church today, the kingdom of God, is not built on good ideas. It's not built on hatred of God or, you know, uh, acquiescence, you know, tolerance to the things of God. It's not built on men getting flattered and, you know, um, swept in and swept up with their own, you know, confusion, egos, insecurity. Um, they've completely missed that this, before conversion, you know, in, and completion of the will of God, there has to be a surrender. You know, we rank our success. We rate our success, the, the things of men by visibility it's in the church out of the church i don't care what you know system what you know level you're at it's all the same in the world success is is graded graded by size visibility popularity yeah that's old high school stuff come on guys let's grow up numbers dollars um carnal measures all based on spiritual blindness hardness of heart demonic deception and i can do it I can do it. It's up to me. That's kind of what Peter is saying. I can do this. We're, we got this, Jesus. You don't need to go to the cross anymore. It's all taken care of. Oh, da, da, da. Right. Jesus clarified the method and definition of discipleship in his next verse. He said, those, then Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Okay, two things he said here. Deny himself, that spirit of self which Satan had impersonated to Peter as the strong man, taking on Peter's words, Peter's mouth, Peter's personality to promote his own agenda, Peter's agenda, not God's agenda, but a demon's agenda, which Jesus recognized. That's why he said, get behind me, Satan. He knew this was Satan's idea and agenda. But Satan was using Peter as a vessel, just like the time Satan got into um, James and John and they were going to call down fire on the, the Samaritans and Jesus said, you do not know what spirit you are of. So the main guys, the main guys that followed Jesus, all the devil took hold of them from time to time and tried to get them to push their own agenda. And nobody was there to stop them except Jesus. You know, their buddies would have said, Oh, that's a great idea. You know, jump on the bandwagon, build a bigger church, buy a new steeple. Come on people. Let's build a shinier salt shaker and keep everybody in it. That's how we, affect the world right no wrong okay deny himself you know that's what conversion is conversion is you surrender you die all following jesus and living is about dying i die daily paul says it's not about having a good time it's about being full of joy and peace in the midst of an incredibly insane anxiety-filled war-defined world but we want we're not of this world 
we're, we know where we're from. We're not from even this dimension. Yeah, we're put on this planet. We got to eat food and carry on like that. But we're not of this world. We know that. We're converted. We're totally dedicated to God and to standing still and seeing the salvation of God. When Moses was sitting on that rock, okay, and the Pharaoh's armies were barreling down on him, and the people of Israel were hammering away at him, ready to kill him in a second because he misled them. And, of course, there's quite a few betrayers in the midst that were happy to create the insurrection, all stirred up by Satan. Paul, God said to, 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 to Moses, sit still. How many of us would sit still in the face of that kind of pressure? Oh, no, we wouldn't have. You know, we can hardly sit still and there's no pressure. Okay, so um, deny what you think, what you want to do, what you want to see done, how you think it should look, your vision. Forget it. Just forget it. If your vision is of God, it will come to pass if you follow him. If you work on it and get more self-control, self-discipline, self-help, for crying out loud, how good is that working? What's the fruit of that? Where has it gotten you? How many of you read all these self-help books? Put them down, throw them away, burn them, and go back to the Bible, okay, to understand who you are in Christ. <coughs> um, so, yeah, and he says, take up your cross. How many ways has the devil misinterpreted that little verse? Oh, it's my cross to bear. Oh, it's, you know, penance, punishment. It's, I'm bad. I'm guilty. I deserve to be punished. Hey, guys, that is not God's plan for you. That is the devil's plan for you, using a religious, pious, deceiving demon to make you think you've got to, you know, whip and scourge and beat yourself up so you can be worthy of heaven. Jesus died on the cross. He was the one whipped and scourged and beaten. That's not your job. Your job is to deny yourself. In other words, don't give place to this spirit that impersonates you to yourself to get you to think that what you're thinking is your thought, what you're feeling is your feeling, and then you go with it and you just leave your spirit sitting in the dust. Go with the spirit of God. Listen to him. It may not always make sense, but it's always right. And so we're not here to to create punishment, penance. You know, that's the problem. People think I can earn and work my way to heaven. I can make myself... I can beat myself bloody so I can deserve to go to heaven. What kind of a God is that? That is not the God who is the Father, the Heavenly Father who comes to bring good peace and goodwill. It's not the one who says, the God of all grace and comfort and mercy, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace and good news. It's not that God. What God are you serving? Some pagan God that's dressed up in all kinds of garments to look religious and he's ritualistic. Your rituals are not going to get you to heaven. Jesus died on the cross. It's not about rituals and religion. It's about relationship. And that's a whole lot easier when you stop and think there's only one I have to please, and that's God. Who cares what people, I mean, people cannot be pleased. If there's two people, they're going to have two different opinions of what you should be doing. If there's three people, they'll have three opinions. If there's seven billion people, they'll have seven billion opinions, and you cannot be seven billion things. So drop it. It's not even worth it. It's a waste. It's a terrible, treacherous, diabolical, devious waste of your time to try to think you're going to please everybody or please anybody. Just be a servant of the Most High God. Please him and be done with it. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, he says, okay, follow me. If you're going to take up your cross, follow me. Rich young ruler turned away and said, nope, can't do that. Got too much. Um, I'd lose. I'd lose too much. Okay, what's it worth? I mean, what what you willing to lose for the kingdom of God? Well, it better be everything or it's going to be nothing. Everything. Everything you've got, everything you are, everything you want to be, everything you think you are, everything you sh- think you should be, which is what the devil is telling you. Stop it. Follow Jesus. Relax. Follow me, he said. See what it will look like. <laughs> well, yeah, when you follow Jesus, what does it look like? Jeremiah, what that look like? Uh, yeah, thrown in the, the muck, the pit, um, the slime pit in the dungeon, actually, up to his neck in mud. Oh, panic city, you know, and no food and rats, I'm sure, and mud and darkness and damp and full of mold. And what's he going to do? Uh, wait on God. God told him, he said, Jeremiah, nobody's going to listen to you, but go anyway. Jeremiah is 17 when he starts this thing out, man, 17 or eight, thereabouts. Young man, I don't know, I say 17, could be different, but, you know, that's a pretty hard decision for a 17-year-old to make or an 18-year-old. They're going to just give their life to God, and they're going to end up being hated, and their books are going to be burned, and they're going to have to, you know, run for their life. 
it's kind of interesting how Jeremiah's life turned out. He kind of became, ended up pretty good for him, actually. Became a landowner and went into the captivity, came back. The, 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 the enemies taken down, the people, the Jewish people, actually gave favor to, to Jeremiah and says, hey, you can go wherever you want to go. You can stay here. You can. Isn't that cool? I mean, you stand for God. And the enemies even said, Jeremiah, you're a good guy. Whatever you want to do, go for it. And he chose to go into captivity. But anyway, Paul, what about him? Poor guy, followed Jesus, gave up everything. I mean, everything. And he, for, he was forsaken by his churches. They didn't follow him. Um, he was telling them there's going to be ravenous wolves coming from among you. Sure were. Uh, took after him, too. He was in shipwrecks, you know, ended up being executed. How does that look like positive success? How does that look like steeples and church growth? How does that look like, you know, uh, a, a wonderful Christian man? You said, you know, Paul... He was a little bit out there. He was kind of like, he didn't really, um, you know, I mean, he could have taken a, a lot easier route. Yeah, 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 yeah. So can you. You can take an easy route if you want. Or, and you know, God isn't all about missionaries and eating monkey meat in Africa either. That's not what God has in mind. These guys were guys who gave it all to Jesus. They followed him and they were very successful. They accomplished God's will. What more can you have for success? And it wasn't their idea. It wasn't the devil's religious persecution idea of you've got to be a martyr for Jesus. You know what? If you can't live for him, you're never going to die for him. So start by living for him and then worry about dying when it comes to that, if indeed it comes to that. Okay, so, you know, people are, you know, we have to give up our popularity. We, we, it doesn't matter what people think of you, their opinions. Um, you know, big church, little church, no church, you know, lots of money. No, none of that. Um, but later, and some people have lots of money who love God. I mean, there was Abraham. He was wealthy. David, he was wealthy. Solomon, he was wealthy. I mean, God's not opposed to wealth, guys. It's all, you know, Satan makes it whatever he wants to make it, and then we believe it because he uses a few scriptures. Use the whole Bible. Put it in context. There's a time for everything. There's a time to, you know, turn the other cheek, and there's a time to shake the dust off. There's a time to go the second mile, and there's a time not even to eat with them. You know, there's a right time. You've got to get into God's step with God. All right. But, you know, in heaven's tally of life, the life that was found and loved and lived and was loved and lived in that larger purpose of God, that is something to, uh, Paul says, I fought the good fight, I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteous. This little temporary jaunt down here, believe it or not, as hard and horrible as it can be, is temporary. It's not forever. Um, so, it's more than, you know, what are they going to say about you when you're dead or print in the obituary or carve on your tombstone? I don't care what they carve on my tombstone, really. But going back to Peter. So Peter, here he is on the, in the crosshairs of Satan right here. And so what's happening is Satan, he knows that Peter's being um, going to be appointed, selected, nominated, um, cast for the role of you know, heading up the church, so to speak, at least the, the Jewish people. And so somewhere at some point, um, the devil went, went to, to God and he desired to have Peter to sift him and eat. He petitioned for him. You know, he want, he says, he must have, because Jesus said it. He says, Satan has desired to have you, Peter, to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. And when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. When you're converted, you're going to, then he, 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 you know, so he's saying, he's saying that and he's saying, and you're going to deny me three times. You know, you're going to, you'll deny me three times. And that's uh, in Matthew. He's getting ready. Jesus is getting very close to the cross at this point in 26. He says, um, he, Peter says, even though, all are made to stumble because of you. I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus says to him, Assuredly, I say to you that before this night is over, the roost and the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And Peter said, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all this. See, he's still confessing, professing, declaring, but his, he's not really broken. He's not really, you know, um, he's not really had the fall. I think we all have to have a fall, a personal fall. It doesn't have to be a moral failure, but some event or events in your life that sit you up to set you down, 
They cause you to surrender, to say, you know, that's done. I'm, I'm dead to, to live as Christ. So, so to Satan, he was going to try one more time. One more time, he's going to sift Peter. And I'm sure he tried many times after that. But, but Jesus, so we know that Satan goes to God and requests the permission to sift. He did that with Abraham. He did that with Job. He did that with Peter. Don't think he won't do it and hasn't been doing it with you. Get wise here. All these bad things that have been happening to you is the devil sifting you. Now let's get smart and say, okay, what can I do about this? Well, first of all, I surrender to God, so what the devil is now doing in my life is illegal. So I'm going to take his, his crimes that he's committing against me and my family to the high court of heaven and say, God, this is illegal, and I confess the sins, the iniquities, the agreements that my people made with the devil to open the doors in the past. I confess them as sin and abomination. Here I am, my witness is Jesus Christ, who knows my heart. He died for me. He became a curse for me, that this curse can be lifted off me. If I think that all these bad things that are happening to me is God's plan for my life, to punish me because God is cruel and vindictive and, and you know, he, he's bipolar, then I won't go to heaven. If I know God is good and the devil's bad and the devil's real and the devil works on us like crazy, then I have some understanding of what needs to be done. So we, Paul, I mean, and Peter here at this point, he's at the point where he's being sifted. He's, he's braggadocious, blinded, his love, affection, vision, whatever he's got going on for Jesus. Maybe he's just scared. You know, people say things when they're scared. Jesus said, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. Or it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. You're going to be scattered. But after this, I will, after I've been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. So he's, he's giving him hope in the midst of this night of evil. <clears throat> and this next 24 hours that's coming up is going to be the worst of their whole life. And then the next 72 hours after that is going to be crazy hard too. But after that, you know, 10 days of waiting, dying, being scared. Now, it's interesting that, that okay, so now Peter denies Jesus. Okay, so then he goes out. And we know that, you know, we, the garden scene where, I mean, the, 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 in the, the night um, soldiers encampment, he comes into the camp, sees Jesus, denies him three times. Then he goes out and cries, weeps bitterly. And so did Judas. Judas. He ran out and wept, but he did not get reinstated, um, at least not the way we understand it. So it says, then he went out and wept bitter, bitterly, the very last verse of chapter 26 of Matthew. So now we have a problem going on. Okay, now Jesus got going through all this stuff by himself, and he knew he would, and he knew those guys wouldn't be anywhere to be found except for John and Mary and a couple of the other Marys. Some of the ladies, the ladies, guys, the ladies at the foot of the cross, the ladies, the first ones to the tomb. Don't underestimate the ladies, okay? Anyway, so they were there. And where's Peter? Oh, I don't know where Peter is. Who knows where Peter is? You know, who's got time to go look for Peter? So Peter's not there. And evidently must have showed up within three days because Mary found him somewhere. Go tell Peter, you know, the tomb is open, blah, blah, blah. So John and Peter ran oh can you imagine peter in those three days how humiliated embarrassed bad guilty you know condemning himself miserable he must have felt all those days sitting there with no relief just the devil beating up on him like you might as well take him to hell and beat up on him i'm sure he was just embarrassed ashamed uh, taken wrecked ruined broken yeah there you go there's the word broke peter was now broken and now a vessel fit for the master's use but anyway so he goes through that sees them, then Jesus appears to them. Peter sees them two times, and it's still pretty awkward, I would think, because um, Jesus had not yet addressed Peter. I mean, he's there, at least he's there, but he's not been addressed. This thing has not been settled. Him, This deal with him and Jesus and denying Jesus doesn't get settled until in, chapter, in John, and we're at the very, very end of John, actually the very last thing. In, the, in that chapter where, where God, Jesus is into relationships, he's going to fix this relationship. He can't let Peter laying there all bloody and broken up by the devil. He's got to get Peter pulled back in. And so he go, So Peter, he's forgetting this. I'm going to go fishing. He goes fishing. Jesus isn't mad at him. Jesus knew where he was fishing. Jesus set up on the shore. He built a little fire, got some bread, was cooking some breakfast for him. 
And then they recognized that it was Jesus on the shore. And Peter jumped out of the water and, and, and um, ran over there, swam over there. <clears throat> and it, for, for, first of all, Jesus says, you got anything to eat? Got any food? And I can come up with the issue of food again, don't we? Bread, food, it's always about food. And he says, well, cast your net in onto the other side of the boat and you will find some. So the right side. So this is it. We're right in the spot where we should be, but we're on the wrong side of the boat. How close, but how far away? So they did it. And then they had so many fish, they couldn't even hardly pull them all to shore. And then Peter realized it's the Lord, uh, or John said that. And then Peter, again, being impulsive, jumped into the water, going on, jumped into the water and plunged into the sea and swam over there, dragging the fish. And Jesus said, bring some of those fish over here that you've caught. So they did. And Simon went up and dragged the net up to the, to the foot of the master. And Jesus said, come and eat. Breakfast is ready. So, of course, you know, they're going to all come and eat. Um, so they had come and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish. And this was the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. So this is the third time. Three times Peter denied him. The third time we have the reconciliation. And Jesus specifically said to Peter, so now we're going to talk with Peter. And when they had eaten their breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon Peter, son of Jonah, how are you doing? Are you okay? You know, is this going to work for you? Going to go fishing again? No, he said, Simon, he, did he say, I told you. I told you this would happen. You weren't listening. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say any of that. He said anything we'd say. He said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than the pointing to the fish, I'm sure. And he says, yeah, Lord. He said to him, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. That's a good answer. You don't know how much you love you, but God knows how much we love him. So don't go with what the devil tells you about how much you love God and condemnation, guilt, and shame. But go with what Jesus knows, for crying out loud. You know that I love you. Good answer, Peter. And he said to them, feed, then he said to him, feed my lambs. Then he said to him again, second time, second time. There was three times he denied, three times he's got to confirm. Second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Okay, take care of my sheep, my lambs, uh, sheep and fish, you know, not quite the same thing. But anyway, then he said the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And this is getting a little embarrassing, repetitious. I mean, what are you getting at here, Jesus? Um, you're driving deep. You're hurting my heart. Cause I, and Peter grieved because he said to him the third time, in other words, why are you doing this to me? You're embarrassing me. I said it already. I love you. I love you. I love you. You know I love you. Actually, he said, you know I love you. He didn't say I love you. He said, you know I love you, which is better. And Peter said, <clears throat> grieved, because he said, do you, do you love me? Jesus said, and Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know everything. You know what happened. You know what you said was true. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Okay. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wanted. You had your own ego trip going on, your own life, your own style of living, your own ideas, visions, hopes, goals, dreams, plans. But when you're old, this is what's going to happen to you, Peter. You're going to stretch out your hands and another is going to gird you and carry you where you don't want to go. Now, that's pretty vague, but <clears throat> doesn't sound good. Sounds like he's going to be taken captive. Sounds like he's going to go somewhere and they're going to gird you, walk where you don't want to go. Um, stretch out your hands. Well, that sure could sound like a cross to me. And, you know, Peter knew pretty much, I think, at that point that, yeah, he was going to be crucified too. And that's kind of cool. Jesus was crucified and Peter was worthy to be crucified too. I know some people say he was crucified upside down and because he said he wasn't worthy to be crucified like Jesus, that could be true and may not be true. I don't know. It's kind of, I don't know, whatever. It doesn't matter. What matters is that Peter really got changed. He got converted. He, the fall made him able to surrender. And this is the problem, and I'm going to quit in one minute, but this is our problem, that we do not really experience conversion. We have lots of confession. We have lots of call. God's called. There's a lot of commissioning, calling, and confession, but there's really no conversion and conclusion. We don't finish the work. We don't keep the state of the course. We get drifted off doing our own little thing, or we get bucked up in the mully grubs of some swamp where we're feeling bad, guilty, no good, unworthy, and, 
and, and God's mad at me. And we want to sit there and Jesus says, get out of the swamp. Come on. You're going to feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. I need you. So get over your hurt. Get over your shame. It's not yours. It was the devil setting you up in the first place. It was what God needed to, God, Satan meant this to, to wreck Peter, wreck you. God, what Satan is using to break you, God is using to make you. What Satan is using to make you a mess, God is using to break you to make you. So you're getting broken to be made into the image of Jesus Christ. Conversion is a good thing, people. So if you're in a tough, tough spot right now, it might be because God is working to convert you. Why don't you just surrender today, give it up, lay it down, say, thy, thy will be done, O God. And Father, we just pray right now, we, thy will be done, O God, on earth, in and through me. I'm done with this game. I'm done with, you know, just playing around with my call, you know, thinking I'm commissioned, trying to get my idea of what you want. I'm going to shut up and listen. Read your word. Be quiet. Pay attention. And know that I can know that you've got this. It's your problem. I'm yours. You love me. You are good. And you are God. Amen. God bless you guys. Talk to you later. LifeRecovery.com, TrueLightChurchMN.org. Bye-bye. Because there's a war for your soul.